All right, everybody, we got a second episode for you this week. Another episode about psychedelics. I know a lot of you are going to be excited to hear more. This is often one of the more popular topics on the show, and we don't do that many episodes about psychedelics, but it's a special treat because it's a special time because, as I'm going to say over and over again, because this is the thing that you have to do when you have a documentary premiering in a festival, Uh, It's premiering at Dances with Films Festival at the Chinese Theater in Hollywood on June 15th at 5 p.m. Guys, we made this all ourselves. I didn't hound you guys. I didn't like start a a Kickstarter or GoFundMe or whatever the many multitudes of of, um, platforms to get money out of you guys for support to fund the film. I didn't ask for any of that. I didn't ask for any money. What I am asking for you to do is if you know any of anyone in LA, go to the psychonauticsfilm.com uh, and or you, you can easily find it off of my website. If you go to the screenings, you can find out so much more about both the film and the sci-fi festival happening afterwards it would mean so very much to me so yeah do that and i hope to see some of you there make sure and mention that you're here we are listeners so i can give you a big hug and i appreciate it very much enjoy today's episode are we yes where are we here why are we here not entirely clear we are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all it's immensely bizarre here we are hello everybody and welcome to the here we are podcast today we have a wonderful bonus psychedelic research episode are we still saying psychedelic is that yeah 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 that okay. seems to be That's... the uh the go-to word yeah great great we have uh you i'm sure you recognize that voice third time on right. the show are you the first third time maybe michael garfield also uh was uh, kind of on three times but yeah you're tied for first place awesome. on the here we are podcast cole marta Hey, thank you for having me. And new to the show, uh, we we haven't, have I done, when's the last time I I did an episode with two guests on? It's always so much more fun <laughs> having having uh, three people on because there's more people to carry the conversation uh, and, <laughs> and two other people not making things awkward in the beginning <laughs> for no reason whatsoever. Shannon, Carlin, Cole, you, uh, like I was saying before the show, I like to have have it be like a multiple co-hosting sort of thing mm-hmm. and uh, and Colt, you d- you introduced to me shannon you did the most fantastic introduction that huh. that i've that i've ever heard my audience gets to hear me failing at intros mm-hmm. each and every week and uh so let's hear a professional do it why don't All you right. introduce <laughs> shannon <laughs> this will be fun and then if you guys can also just talk amongst each other for like an hour and i'm just gonna sit here <laughs> walk and, away and watch. Yeah, yeah 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 no problem uh this is my friend and colleague uh shannon carlin and she is She's one of the first people I thought would be appropriate for your podcast because she is um, the head of uh, MDMA training or training for the MDMA assisted psychotherapy for PTSD program at MAPS. She's been working there since 2011. She also has worked extensively for and continues to do work with the Zendo project and uh, has is not only on the phase three study for MDMA assisted psychotherapy for PTSD as my uh, co-therapist, uh, but she also has been on uh, MDMA assisted therapy for life-threatening illnesses study prior to that. And uh, she's done a million other awesome things. And we're both uh, slugs. We're both UCSC grads. And uh, yeah. <laughs> Wait, what's a slug? It's a banana slug. Uh, uh, you're, you're both, that's your spirit animal? Yeah. Yes. Oh. No, we both went to UC Santa Cruz. 
ah, that was a weird um, synchronistic <laughs> moment because I, the person that made the poster for my film was just going on and on about how slugs are his spirit animal. Really? And then, like, <laughs> anyway. That's not one I hear much. They're very um, wise. Yes, they are. I, well, I was just in the Redwoods uh, last weekend mm-hmm. uh, camping out, so... All sorts of banana slugs. Right. Yeah, um, that's I where like, they're at. I like uh, I like really weird slow. I like when something is like like sloths and slugs and koala bears and pandas, where I like can't figure out how. Uh, the harsh selection process of evolution hasn't ripped them out of existence. Right, right. <laughs> like, I'm like, always uh, fascinated by by those species. That's, They've just that's snuck why they by. must be magical. Yeah, they are. <laughs> magical slugs. <laughs> um, so, first off, Shannon, you are you are this grizzled veteran now. Been here since 2011, but you're so you're so young. How did you how did you get into this uh, this field of research so quickly because I have I have so many um, people come up to me after my show. You, you're a uh, you're a maps hipster. You were you were with them before when there was only how many researchers? I think maps has always been cool, but yeah, yeah, before it was bigger. Yeah, yeah, before it was bigger, and uh, and people are always like, how do you how do you get involved in all this? Uh, how did you get involved so many years ago? So most people intern or volunteer for MAPS for years or even a decade or longer, hoping that they're going to get hired on staff. And I sometimes feel guilty telling this story, but um, I was in UC, I was in Santa Cruz. I graduated from UC Santa Cruz, uh, did a year of AmeriCorps service and was looking for my next gig and found out about MAPS and had my personal psychedelic experiences that led me to think this could be a cool organization to work for. And I applied for a job and I was well qualified to work in the office. And uh, that's kind of my history. I, I didn't know about MAPS long before I was working there, which was kind of amazing. Mm. Um, yeah. Awesome. So you started and then what was your what was your escalation in the uh, throughout MAPS? Yeah. So I was working in the office in Santa Cruz. I was getting my master's degree at the same time at CIS, the California Institute of Integral Studies. Um, in counseling psychology, so I was becoming a therapist. I wasn't totally sure that I was going to become a psychedelic therapist, which you might think was odd because I was working at MAPS and I was getting my master's degree in, in psychotherapy. But when my professors would brag about having patients for 20 or 30 years, I thought, oh, this is not going to work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I was um, meeting and learning from Michael and Annie Mithoffer, who are some of our lead researchers on the MDMA PTSD trials and they're talking about a protocol that lasts, you know, less than a year and people are having amazing results treating their PTSD. I thought, okay, this could work. Yeah, I, I want to go in this direction. Um, and so Michael and Annie and, and Marcella and others have been my mentors ever since at MAPS. I had them on the show as well. They're so wonderful. And we just mentioned them on the last podcast. I that That is, I was kind of thinking about that the other day, the idea of seeing... I I don't want to knock this, but the, but I was thinking about the idea of seeing the same therapist for like thirty years, or because I was I was thinking about what it. I mean, I I don't think I would make a good therapist, but I was thinking about what that would be like trying to like help someone for thirty years because I I can sound like really smart and interesting for an hour or two, and then after that. <laughs> I'm kind of like out of wisdom to impart on people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you feel obligated to be smart and interesting to your therapist? That would be probably the first thing that you would work on. <laughs> no, no. I mean, if I was a therapist, like giving advice to someone, I'd be like, oh, I know. I, 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 I have. Here's a, here's a trick. Have you tried the Pomodoro technique or something right, like right, that? Right. And then after a while, I'd be like, yeah, I mean, have we've been through anything that I can think to tell you right. about. It seems like after after 30 years, if you started at like 27 with that patient, you could recite everything you've ever learned your entire <laughs> life and be out by 54. Yeah. <laughs> like after 27 years, you could have recited everything that you've ever encountered in your entire life up till taking that person on as a patient. So 30 <laughs> years seems like, uh, yeah, probably gone through 
at least the knowledge base of that now are you just like paying someone to be your friend like after after 30 years again i feel like maybe i'm knocking the profession a little a little too much but it is it just it it just seems that does see i mean when you say it 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 seems uh it seems insane and we were also when i had uh brad adams on the other day we were we were talking about the maps graphs i have a science podcast and i see graphs all the time and i see these these like tiny little differences and say a response to a, a survey of of uh of what you're attracted to and like a gender difference or whatever there's like a there's like the slightest bit of a and they're like whoa look at this look at this uh, gender difference that we're finding and, and it's so blown up like it's this big and important thing and and most uh especially when you're getting into say how uh the efficacy of an antidepressant or what you know i see these graphs all the time and the maps graph is is the <laughs> graphs of graphs it, yeah, it, it's like it a is it is so ridiculous the uh, uh the uh efficacy yeah. of mdma assisted psychotherapy and b- before we kind of move forward just so we can set the parameters of this conversation a little bit because the the guests have have gotten because we don't talk about psychedelics tons on this podcast uh you know it's maybe four times a year or something like that so we've been checking in with maps on a basis of like once or twice a year and so there's always kind of new news and there's always kind of you're at some new step and the audience is getting to hear the progress uh but because of that there's sometimes things that i'm not sure what we can and cannot mm-hmm. talk about so uh so maybe you both could um and, and cole knows a little more about where where we left off the last time we had this conversation but maybe you both can kind of uh share where where the uh M- where things are at right now yeah i think where we left off was preparing uh you know preparing for the study that we're engaged in now and putting a team together and uh hoping to get the dea approval and the fda approval uh yeah we were still waiting for a lot of approvals for lots of, for lots of approvals. Yeah, a lot of permissions. We were waiting for all our permission slips to come in, <laughs> um, and and a lot has happened. You know, if you think about you know uh, things that are happening potentially in Europe and uh, potential follow up studies, and uh, Shannon's definitely the expert on on progress in those areas. So. Actually, can you? Can you talk a little bit to that? Because I, uh, th- uh, I know my listeners would love to know what what is also going on in other uh, worldwide. Yeah, yeah. So here in the U.S., there's 12 study sites. There's two more in Canada, two in Israel, and about a half a dozen in the EU. So next week, at the time that we're speaking right now, um, MAPS is going to a meeting with EMA, the European Medicines Agency, to see if they will give us some advice on setting up studies in the EU, which is different than in the U.S. Um, but in the U.S., our, our studies in full-fledged action. Cole and I just finished an integration visit with our study participant today um, and, and have an experimental MDMA session with her very soon. So it's exciting. It's, it's happening. It's growing. Uh, we're speaking with researchers in Chile, Colombia, Brazil. We have some researchers coming from Slovenia. Afghanistan, hoping to have a study in China. So, I was going to ask. I didn't want to be weird, but I was like, "What's going on with Asia?" And like, so you never hear about the yeah. psychedelic um, or the life of psychedelics in in Asia. You hear about South America, right. of course, and all uh, yeah, all sorts of different parts of the world. Is it is it new? Are they are they or are they like tripping on things that we don't know about? Are they? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea now that you mention it, but. Um... Yeah, do you know of any collaborations with MAPS going on in in Asia? I know that there's some folks interested in potentially funding a study in China, but I don't really know the details of what that would involve or, yeah, what psychedelic use is like in Asia. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, I know that in Russia, uh, they 
even outlawed ketamine after there was a lot of research showing its efficacy for uh, at least alcoholism. There's a lot of research there. And uh, so they're pretty intolerant um, of mind-altering chemicals in Russia. I know that's very different from China and the rest of Asia, but um, yeah, I haven't heard a whole lot about what the what the scene is like there. I know that they do, uh, you know, have a have a comparable you know mental health system in general. But I don't know where they are in in entertaining the idea of psychoactive drugs as potential tools for things other than misuse. And yeah, in Russia, drugs smoke you. <laughs> So that's the best I could do, Cole. Nice, I'm very nice. sorry. <laughs> Throwback? Nice. <laughs> very good. Uh, on the I, I, uh, I'm known as the comedian who tells jokes and then quickly apologizes for them <laughs> immediately afterwards. It's just kind of my shtick. Apologizing yeah, for jokes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, on the, like... On the research front, uh, things that have been published since the last time, the big uh, study with veterans, um, MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for PTSD with veterans, uh, was published in, was it Lancet? I believe or, so, yeah. yeah. And firefighters and one police officer. Right, yeah. It was you know, veterans, firefighters, and police. Um, and showed a similar efficacy to the previous study. There was... There's been some concern in the past about other treatments that have been helpful for civilians and didn't have the same sort of efficacy for uh, for uh, combat PTSD, mm. and so it was a really important study to to have follow up. Plus, you know that adds um, another few dozen people who have safely been you know treated with MDMA and, and the psychotherapy involved. Um, Which helps our research now with PTSD because we weren't sure would the previous study was female survivors of childhood sexual abuse. And so we weren't sure does the treatment efficacy, meaning does it work well um, for one population, not the other. We're seeing it works equally well for those populations, at least in the small studies we did. So now we do PTSD of, of any source. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it no longer has to be treatment resistant. That's a big difference for uh, which, um, you know, the sort of these small differences in definitions have enormous impacts. Like the fact that the official phase three study is looking at MDMA assisted psychotherapy for PTSD, period, not treatment resistant PTSD, not necessarily severe treatment resistant PTSD, which means that. Uh, if it comes to market, if it's successful, it is potentially the first line agent mm. for that condition or can be considered, you know, immediately. It, it um, for example, with a lot of the research that's been done with ketamine for depression, it's primarily been uh, focused on treatment resistant depression. And so one could argue actually that you, you should test the first line agents and if those don't work, then try ketamine um, because we don't know why some people respond to first-line agents and why some people don't respond to first-line agents. Perhaps there are even different conditions. Right. And so maybe ketamine has been shown to be safe and effective for the treatment-resistant population and giving it to them first is actually sort of firing in the dark. Um, so with this small distinction difference of MDMA being tested for um, for PTSD, not treatment resistant or chronic or severe, uh, means it doesn't have to be uh, relegated to you know those people who tolerate going through several trials without getting a lot of help and then are willing to try something new after mm-hmm. you know a lot of what happens with with PTSD. Unfortunately, because there aren't very many extremely effective treatments with large effect size, which is, you know, what we have that make our graphs look so amazing. The, the effect, the effects, the size of the effect is, is really big. You know, um, I was thinking of the graph. I think it's like 
that ride. I don't know if it's at Disneyland or Universal Studios where you basically go up and then you drop down 13 floors. Mm-hmm. It's kind oh, of like yeah, that. yeah, the Tower of Terror. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully it's like the Tower of Healing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the Terror of Healing? No, that can't be it. It's, we'll workshop it together. It's exceptionally dramatic. Whatever it is, it sounds like an awesome one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I could, I could ride that MDMA study map over and over again without it being bored. We just did a, we just did a podcast. No, I never mind. I haven't released it. I did a podcast on satiation that I was going to refer to, but that wouldn't make any sense to the listener. I we're so we're yeah we we are unsatiated. Um, so um, I another thing that I am curious, like how much uh, I can ask and talk about is uh because i i was talking about on just the last episode with brad i was talking about how a lot of times i I just did some mdma um a week or so ago and a lot of times it's not necessarily just uh like exploring whatever past trauma or whatever there's also this appreciation for the beauty of life and and the example that stuck with me Uh, i'm going to repeat it to the listener and the reason why i'm doing that listener is so that you can hear two different people's reaction to the same thing but but we are sitting around this campfire uh just like comparing silly uh like talents and stuff like i can turn my elbow like the wrong way and i can i can do this hand whistle and um and i'd forgot that i could do it but when i did that on mdma i all of a sudden like flash back to when i was a kid i would record david letterman every night and he would open the show by doing that and it was like he would like flick flick off the camera by like doing it with his middle finger and and uh and so i was like as someone who admired david letterman i would practice that in my bed and then it it was like this nostalgic walk down memory lane but then i i thought about like all of the things that influenced me to build me into the comedian that i am today and how like really early on in my life i i remember like being like four years old and and my dad sitting like uh, with my dad as my dad would like watch mash or whatever and he would be laughing and i would like laugh along even though i didn't understand it and and i was like oh maybe maybe that was like some of my favorite childhood memories was like seeing my dad laugh and like if i could just like make other people laugh. and so i was like going through this whole beautiful like backstory and reliving it and it was it was just wonderful and it made me kind of appreciate my life and all that. and i i'm curious if I know you can't like say someone's name and like maybe right, exactly right. what, but but I would love to hear. But what what is kind of there probably isn't a typical reaction to a session. But is it like are you just giving someone the the treatment and letting them go? Are you prodding them, asking them questions? Like what 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 is that process like? That's a great question. Yeah, it's some of some of all of that. Uh, we talk about going inward. And we use music, and we invite them to use eye shades and lay back on the couch or futon in the room. And so there's periods where you walk in, and there's a person tripping on the couch, and there's two therapists watching them. Um, and then there's other periods where they're they're sitting up, and it looks like a therapy session with two therapists, and there's talking and processing, um, either of things that are happening in the moment, like sensations or feelings or things that have happened in the past, like your nostalgia with the hand whistle. Um, so it's, it's very dynamic. And some sessions are tons of talking. It's an eight hour session. So some of the sessions are like, you know, seven and a half hours of talking and some are very little. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd say the, the kinds of experiences, um, yeah, are totally varied. And the, Healing doesn't always have to be, you know, I would say this just generally, healing doesn't always have to be just dealing with like the shadow and dealing with the the dark, spooky mm-hmm. things. Healing can also be gratitude and appreciation and basking in, you know, the amazing opportunity that life is, you mm-hmm. know, and acknowledging that and spending time with friends and um, that all can be healing as well. So um, really it's uh, the, the approach is a non-directive approach. It's sort of, um, as the co-therapists, our job is 
primarily holding a safe container and place for whatever process needs to happen to come up. And uh, yeah, we'll encourage times of, like you were saying, uh, like inward reflection and times of talking. But, um, but yeah, we we don't uh, steer it one way or another because we're doing, you know, because the specific uh, focus of the study is for PTSD. Uh, of course we do like encourage discussion about the trauma if they aren't. And that's in the like study protocol, which is, um, freely available on maps's website. Um, but, or sorry, the treatment manual, not the study protocol. In the in the treatment manual, it talks about uh, the the non-directive approach, and um, that if somebody hasn't talked about their trauma, that we uh, are that we will invite them to talk about it because we wouldn't want to miss that opportunity, and people potentially could distract away from the mm-hmm. work. Um, but uh, it, when we were doing our training, the people who trained us. Uh, I believe between Michael, Annie, and Marcella's group, none of them have ever had to do that. Like when mm-hmm. people come in in this in this context, they're they're ready to they're ready to talk about it and ready to deal with it. So they're it's it's certainly not all fun and games. Those it can there can be fun times, but mm-hmm. it's mostly hard, hard, hard work dealing with the worst thing that's ever happened to them, right. you know? Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to, I definitely wanted to get a sense of like what kind of the norm is and that this is a, another thing I'm sure it'd be so difficult to answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you, notice a uh, so i mean you you have these graphs that are the uh sum of adding kind of all of the results together but do you happen to notice any trends or maybe you can't allow yourself to notice trends like this or speculate on them but uh of uh, you know someone someone has uh Uh, talks a lot someone sits and meditates the whole time someone breaks down and cries and really explores it someone um someone explores it a little bit but has like a lot of have you noticed any uh any like different changes when when you know you you have someone that has like a four-hour crying session and you can now be like oh they're gonna be one of the people that you really see the big result on and and have like got a lot of closure from that do you have a a feeling and a sense when you're in the in the moment of like how it's going and in terms of like you know what kind of closure someone might be getting or anything like that i mean I don't, I don't think in terms of, I mean, that would be interesting to measure, like how active they are, how talkative they are, how much crying they do. But I don't think that's so much the outcome. What, what I do think it is, is part of our role as the therapist is to keep, to help facilitate them doing the work, like like Cole was saying. And, and most of the time, they're primed for that. They're, they enrolled in a study. It's an extensive process to screen into the study. So people want to do the work. Um, but sometimes... You know, an eight-hour therapy session and doing trauma work and being under the influence of MDMA, like, there are going to be periods of time where you don't want to do the work or you got distracted for normal reasons. I mean, no no person I know can sit for eight hours and do one thing without getting distracted at some point. Right. So that's part of our role is to keep them on. So I think that could be an interesting thing is, like, obviously, part of PTSD is you don't – it doesn't feel safe to work on the trauma. It's not – you don't have a safe setting and you feel like – the trauma is happening to you all over again. So people are really good at not going there. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, how, how, how can we facilitate them getting it into that trauma content in the session? And, and like Cole said, they do a lot of it on their own, just naturally. Hmm. Um, Shannon's much more experienced with the MDMA assisted therapy in particular. So I definitely defer to her on that with this treatment. And, but I would say in general, as a mental health professional, I'm always surprised at like what it, when somebody tells me like, you know, when you said this or that, like 
that's when everything turned around or uh, when you sat there in silence after I said this, uh, you know, like uh, I, I'm constantly surprised at what it is that was what they needed, which I th- to me uh, is one of the things I love about this, uh, you know, official stance of a non-directive approach um, because in my own sort of, deeper thoughts about this whole process um you know it's it's uh the process is entirely the the patients or in the case of study of participants um like i i'm some like tool in that process that you know hopefully knows what not to do hopefully he doesn't set anything on fire while it's happening right um and uh and you know like what i think would be the big healing thing in so many of the you know people that i've seen have big transformations it's it's almost never what i thought it was and it's and really sometimes it's like bizarre what it, what it is you know? i know well it's isn't the magic isn't like the brain needed. and psychedelics in general i mean it's always just like the brain, the brain and consciousness is just such a sneaky. Yeah. <laughs> it's always, it's always like you know, you don't. You would think if you were like building, say, a computer, you would, you would be like, hey, I don't want to think about this like traumatic event or or whatever. Let's just like delete that from the files right, right. and get rid of that. And so, and and that is like the inclination for a lot of people, and probably right. what a lot of PTSD is about is you have this horrific thing. Like, oh, don't think about that right now. And you're trying to push it away right. and, and counterintuitively actually digging in there and expressing it and going through some of those details and can help you reframe it and close some of those, those loops. But then psychedelics are also just in general, like that's the thing I like, I am a firm believer in setting intentions, but that also can set you up for, for like some, you can get what you ask for, but then it's also like opposite day. Sometimes you show up in those, sure, in those sure. worlds. I, I had, uh, I, I kind of helped. I had, a, I, I'm reluctant to call myself a facilitator because I I feel very uncomfortable with it. But but I helped out in this Jamaica psilocybin retreat, and it's a little more. Oh, right. They they right. do they do a nice job of like you know the Catherine McLean down there, and they're getting like decent people that like varying Have levels experience. of experience and yeah. whatnot. But you know I I, I felt. Uh, uh, you know, I sat in for kind of the integration and the setting intentions and just kind of the group conversations afterwards. And after it was like three, three sessions in a week. And it was this particular group. I've been there with two groups now was like very serious. Like we're going to like, which was great. Like we're going to get down to business and explore, you know, the, the darkness or what. And, and there was, and, and there was, I remember there's a couple people like, having these really fun experiences and like, oh man, I just, I didn't reach the thing. I just had a lot of fun. And, and then after, <laughs> after, after like, shoot, I was guaranteed uh, hell. <laughs> and uh, that's what I finally said like before hell? the third one. I was like, guys, yeah, we're all like, yeah, we, we do sometimes uh, uh, create this like dramatic story of like we're persevering over this and that and that's like what you got to dig into during these these moments and like if you end up having fun during a trip like that can be really yeah. healing yeah. <laughs> that can be that can be terrific and it was i think that that for like just two or three people it was like exactly what they needed to hear because there's especially one guy in particular that was just it, nothing's ever made me happy and i keep on pursuing things and and this is my last thing that i'm trying to pursue and and it's just you know i've switched jobs and i've moved and i've done i had kids and i've done the things and and i just can't be in the end on the third one i was just like what well, yeah you know you can you can just like have fun too like and, <laughs> right, right. and it was it was that was the one that he was just like oh what was i so worried about and and then his main thing was like if i could just hold on to some of that and take carry some of that in with me into the uh into the following trips but it's just so uh i mean everything's uh, everything seems like i mean as a comedian i have to like 
tap into the minds of large groups of people and that's a lot of times i'm like this joke's gonna kill and then it does awful and then <laughs> right, i'm like right. oh, i'll throw out this thing and then it crushes yeah the human mind is such an unpredictable thing and it's quite the business you guys have yourselves involved with <laughs> and then it's yeah. also i mean everything is mind altering like every single like this conversation right now is altering the minds oh, yeah. of of the Me? listener yeah. yeah and and there's like um i've been told that that uh sometimes when i'm talking it has an extremely sedating effect on, <laughs> on people i've seen it be i've seen it really knock out time. some audiences before <laughs> you'll see you'll, you'll see people really like overdosing and and having <laughs> bedtime story time. <laughs> yeah. yeah but but like this is i mean Everything is altering the mind in some way, and uh, I mean, if you had to, if you had to sit here and like, uh, if a listener had to sit and listen to me talk about the efficacy of MDMA for eight hours straight, like I think that would be a really bad trip. <laughs> They'd be like, I think I just prefer to do the MDMA. Right. But right. the the point is, is all of these are like, life is this whirling like this consciousness is this whirling like sea of simulation that we're all in and it must be so difficult for you guys to figure out like when is the okay do i do i talk now do i give them a little broader do i just sit here quietly and let them process what they just said yeah uh the we get these little pointers uh as uh, technically, the study that we're engaged in right now is a sort of small pre-study to the phase three study, and it's um, par- partially for the purpose of supervising all of the therapists who are at all of these different sites. For many of them, this is the first time working with this particular treatment in this medicine. So um, we're getting supervised by Michael and Annie and Marcella and uh, people who have done the phase two studies. Uh, so they watch our videos and stuff like that. And one of the big first uh, points of feedback that was really awesome was, uh, why am I talking? Wait. <laughs> yeah. W-A-I-T, wait. Why am I talking right now? Yeah. Ah. And like so much, ah. uh, you know, I think it makes sense. And certainly before, my, I was terrified when I started doing psychotherapy with people that I was going to like do something wrong and break something that's unfixable. And, um, uh, I've been pleasantly surprised at how really little a role I actually have in the whole thing <laughs> and how unimportant I am in the, what the person is do, going through and needs. It's, it's more luckily getting out of the way creating a safe space, creating a safe container. Um, You know, we are dealing with all of these complexities uh, and the mind is extremely complex, but so much, most of it happens internally in that, Mm -hmm. in that person. And, uh, and a lot of what we're doing is not getting in there and manipulating and setting some program. That's the happy program. It's, It's just, you know, having, allowing this person an opportunity to focus entirely on a process of addressing difficult things, challenges or whatever it is. I mean, that's a skill in and of itself to just sit like right now. I'm oh, like, yeah. Ooh, I have an interesting comment. And then, and then I have to go like, wait, is this worth, <laughs> why am I talking right now? Is yeah. this worth? And, and, and also like giving, giving people advice seems to be like, Something that is just a part of human nature. Humans just love giving advice to like. like I sometimes think we're just talking to ourselves when we give advice to <laughs> others. You, you know, yeah. uh, because right, you right. see the subjective thing, and then you like recognize it. That, like, oh, I hate when I do that thing. Like, <laughs> I have an advice. You know, people only really take advice should. they already agree with. Right, right. I like to ask questions. So if I'm not sure if I'm doing the right thing as a therapist or even as a friend, I just ask. Would you like to talk now, or would you like me to be quiet? <laughs> would Would you, you know, like the music louder, or would, do you like it how it is? You know, and to yeah. not overwhelm people with questions, especially when they're tripping. But I don't know what somebody needs. I don't know that. Um, so I couldn't give advice because I don't know, you know, what's true in their internal landscape. Um, so it's a lot of curiosity. Mm. Yeah. 
like listener would you would you like us to in editing turn up the sound of the airplanes going (laughs) over this experiment with the first ever outdoor podcast is going great except the planes except for the planes well i mean it's it adds an ambiance yeah like we're clearly not uh only in this beautiful place that we're actually in we are also in burbank and we're proving that, <laughs> like, the we're not like cutting this up and editing. That this is like a genuine right. conversation, and That's you can right. hear that because of the, the plane, airplane. Gun, because right. of the airplane, it's it's like that holding the up the newspaper to prove that <laughs> that you're. It's actually it's the, that day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's exact. It's a perfect metaphor, by the way. I just really <laughs> knocked that metaphor out. That's straight out metaphors. They're always perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, so this is, this is phase three and this is the, what did they call it? The, the kind of fast tracking that the FDA. So this uh-huh. is what we're doing right now is a phase two lead in to phase three. Oh, what? Okay. What the does little that mean? caveat I just mentioned that we're technically right now or you can did explain. I zone yeah. out through that part? Did you already explain this to me? No. Okay. This is a. It's complicated. Right. <laughs> there, the, the small supervision study that Cole was mentioning is technically a phase two study. Ah, um, it's, it's technicality. It's I a, a lead in for phase three, which is actually some of our sites, sites are already ready oh, to start phase three. Okay, but it hasn't officially started yet. Right. We're still waiting to receive. Oh, why our am I drug. even here then? Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. Like, um, there's been a lot of like, it's about to happen and then you know when you're i guess when you're it's the first time this has ever happened in history and so there we don't even know what to expect you know we don't even know um we don't know what we're going to run into and uh like the process of getting for example permission from the DEA you know it, it's because it's never happened, they're not quite sure what exactly to expect or like han- how to handle this situation. Like some of the details, you know, like uh, wh- how exactly um, things need to be stored. Like what's a reasonable level of security? Like there, there's no manual for like this process that we're going through in in anybody's workbooks. And so, yeah, there have been a, a lot of a lot of unexpected things and. Um, yeah, we're asking the DEA, can you help us figure out how to safely store MDMA? And they're like, you want to help you store MDMA? <laughs> Why would you want to do uh, yeah. that? We, we usually confiscate MDMA. We're not quite sure about storing it at your facility. Right, right. It's not like right next to like uh, mandatory minimum sentences is like in case somebody wants to do research with this medicine. Right. Yeah. Well, I do have a lot of, uh, I do have a lot of listeners in the DEA. And so just for them listening, you know, as long as you just keep on making the right decisions, like you always have in the past and just knocked it out of the park, I'm sure everything's going to be fine. Well, the FDA for the, for the listener, if this happens to be like, you haven't listened in the past, the FDA was was kind of the easier one, right? In, in terms of they were a little more encouraged and helpful, and the the DEA is a bit more of a hurdle. Yeah, is that fair? I would say that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. And I think I think though um, I've been pleasantly surprised by you know there there hasn't been any that I've run into like attempts to be obstacles or to get in the way or to stop it from happening. Uh, everyone has been really reasonable, like even um, uh, dealing with the FDA and the DEA, they have responded to every inquiry and answered every question. And uh, again, it's just mm. nothing. This has never happened in history before. Nothing's ever come off of the schedule one list. Mm-hmm. No one's ever we're in uncharted waters for everyone, for all of these departments. Like, and the DEA is, you know, MAPS has been gearing up for this for 30 years in one way or another. Uh, the DEA has never heard of this, <laughs> never heard of this idea. They've never had this conversation with their friends at, you know, their podcasts or whatever. Yeah. Like, this was like the weirdest email they've gotten all year kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think that it's, yeah, an intentional barrier. Uh, I think it's yeah. going through bureaucracy. It's 
training on a new process. One of the holdups with phase three right now is um, in phase three trials, you have to use GMP drug, good manufacturing practice. So it's like medical grade drug. And it's there's only, you know, very few labs that are actually GMP certified. So the lab that we hired has never made MDMA before, mm-hmm. <laughs> learning how to make MDMA for the first time at this lab. Uh, so, it, you know. I should just I should just pair you guys up with my guy Steve. Yeah, yeah. Like, Steve is Steve, uh, certified good. by FDA good manufacturing practices. <laughs> oh, maybe not. Oh, that's what you need. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, what what's the sense of like how how soon does phase three take off? Probably July. July. Yeah. Oh, that's far. wonderful. Yeah. Oh man, this is so exciting. Yeah. This is you guys are a part of history in the May. I I feel privileged to even get to talk to people about this awesome time in history of what's going on. It's, it's going to change the world, I think. It's really exciting. I uh, uh I don't like to oversell anything. It's <laughs> absolutely going to change. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. It's on you guys. No uh, I don't know All if right. you've looked around, but uh, we desperately need something, and <laughs> you're our only hope. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's overwhelming the need. Like um, Michael and Annie's study in Charleston was 24 participants, and they had 700 people on the wait list. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that's about to happen with our phase three trials. And so sometimes when you think about that, it's so overwhelming. But after I leave one of the sessions with our participant and just get to witness and be a part of their process, I. Even just for one person, I'm like, this is worth it. This is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, so so now that it's not just treatment resistant people um, uh, that are uh, uh, applying or or um, uh, potential candidates, uh, what is the what is the road to become if if someone's listening and they have PTSD to be a, to uh, as far as um, uh, expressing interest in participating in the studies, best thing they could do is go to maps.org and uh, get uh, signed up for their um, email newsletter and get so that they get announcements and they'll be notified when uh, the study site in their area uh, begins enrollment, in which case they have to express their interest in us. Like we're not allowed to solicit like, call people or anything like that we can't reach out mm-hmm. and uh to try to recruit for ethical reasons but uh we can announce that we are doing this study for this condition um, they can go to clinicaltrials.gov mm-hmm. and do a word search for mdma and ptsd and uh the first study that comes up is um the one we're doing right now which is just this brief prelim sort of prep study for the phase three that we mentioned. Uh, and I believe it's all the same sites that are listed there. So if people are curious about, you know, what the nearest site is for them, uh, they can see there. Uh, I'd say that's the most direct way. If somebody's interested in participating, clinicaltrials.gov, search MDMA PTSD. It'll show you the active and planned studies and the sites. And then it actually has the site contact on there if they're recruiting. Yeah. Yeah. And once phase three opens, that will start again. So people who may have um, expressed their interest, uh, they should know, you know, what they, if they've already sent that, um, that was for this sort of preliminary smaller study and uh, a larger study, the phase three is going to be bigger in size. Most, if not all of the sites will have more participants and they'll have to express their interest again once uh, once it's announced that those sites are recruiting for mm. phase three opening. Um, yeah, clinicaltrials.gov will be, it stays like updated, right, on mm-hmm. recruit, when recruitment closes mm-hmm. too, it notifies. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And then expanded access was something that you mentioned earlier. And so that's an FDA program that, a research organization can apply for after phase three is underway. So maybe sometime around the turn of the new year, MAPS will apply for expanded access. It's a program for populations that have conditions that are life-threatening. So PTSD has an extremely high suicidality rate and for which there are not very good current treatment options. So for some people, Zoloft and Paxil and cognitive behavioral therapy work fine for treating their PTSD. For a lot of people, they don't. Mm-hmm. So there's this urgent need to get effective treatments to people with PTSD 
especially because of that suicidality rate. So MAPS has been granted a few special protocol assignments and breakthrough therapy designations through the FDA, which basically mean the FDA thinks that this protocol could be part of expanded access potentially. There's a high need for it and that they're going to work with us to expedite the process of phase three and and collecting all of the research. Hmm. So potentially expanded access um, could be approved by about this time next year, spring 2019, which would allow more therapists to undergo training and more sites to gain DEA approval to offer this treatment. That's a cost recovery program, so it's different than clinical research. So there's a lot we're still collecting information about how it all works, but it's a way that people could access the treatment um, in outside of phase three. Hmm. And before phase three ends, like um, it's my understanding is the the purpose of having this is like a acknowledgement of sort of a moral imperative that you have this treatment and you have this bureaucratic process that takes so long you know, that uh, shouldn't there, and yes, indeed, there should be uh, mm-hmm. some sort of expanded access to this treatment prior, you know, without having to wait for all of the data to come in. There's lives if at it's stake. clearly, yeah. exactly, if it's clearly, you know, and one of the more awesome, one of the most awesome things about those Look at cool the graphs. graphs. Exactly. Look at the graph. We're mind melding. Yeah. <laughs> one of the cool things about the, our graphs being so cartoonishly um, positive is when you have an effect size that big, it doesn't take a lot of data collecting to prove clearly like there's something happening here, mm. you know, to prove statistical significance. And all that. So um, hopefully it will be very quickly that we're able to demonstrate that and um, get treatment out there post haste hmm. um and shannon you're just in town visiting right i live in san diego oh yeah. you live in san diego i come okay. up to la to work on the same ah year. Mm-hmm. i see cool are you are you going to be coming for the uh for the conference coming i'm up? not because it's the same time as we're doing a therapist training oh yeah um, well, uh, Cole and I have all sorts of plugs that we need to get to before, <laughs> before we wrap up. Shannon too. Uh, yeah. right. We're going to be doing after the, well, she's going to come to the premiere. Oh, you're, most do, likely. you're, you're doing the sci-fi festival. Yes. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Uh, this is she and I with, uh, with Zach. This is like when we talked on the phone. I had no idea. I I didn't realize that it was like the same night, and it didn't. It so it ended up being this wonderful serendipitous thing. That now the official after after party of the documentary is going to be that. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. People. People. Yeah. With with the documentary with the ticket stub, which is fifteen dollars, you get fifteen dollars off of the sci-fi. So you basically get my documentary for 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 free. Oh, cool. uh, Well, then we'll all be like caravanning to the documentary (laughs) premiere. Yeah, yeah. Sci-fi fest. I'm going to be introducing Dr. Terrence Early. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I gotta. Gotta think of my Dr. Terry Early roast jokes. I haven't started working. No, <laughs> he looks like he does TikTok from the um, that's, the Wizard of Oz, the Wizard of Oz sequel that's that came out in the eighties. What 80s. it is, dude? TikTok. Oh, I was like, what is he? Because he looks cartoonishly like somebody, <laughs> and that's what it is. Oh my goodness, Dr. Terry Early. That man is awesome. He he also looks a little like Quaker Odie, um, to me. But uh, but yeah, he definitely does not look like someone. Oh yeah, Roosevelt, like Roosevelt a little yeah. bit. Yeah, he doesn't look like uh someone that does ketamine assisted <laughs> psychotherapy, and that's he's that's awesome. what uh, that's why he's uh, it's a well not a big part but it's part of the one of the things that makes him awesome is he's one of the one of the faces breaking down the barriers of what psychedelic uh research is and looks like and and, uh and uh it's nice to see i was just having a conversation with brad of uh i got a i got i even got a lesson in in uh stereotyping the psychedelic crowd because when i started doing my shows 
I soon realized he does look like TikTok. <laughs> that is hilarious. Oh my goodness. Um, and no, don't be sorry. Thank you. Um, and, and yeah, this, the, the psychedelic movement does not, uh, the current movement does not look like the, the old videos of Woodstock or something like that. Right. Uh, and, uh, and I think that's, um, I mean, it's unfortunate that that's what it takes to ha- that for it to be legitimizing, but but it's also exciting that it is now something that is being legitimized to so many different groups of people. And this is one of the important things of of what was the um, published in the what, what was the like Veterans Affairs something or other you mentioned at the beginning of the the Lancet podcast. Journal. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. MP8, yeah. the Charleston Veteran Study. Yeah. Yeah. Just amazing psychedelics yeah. working their way into every little facet of society. It's it's really incredible and beautiful to see. And so people can check out us. They can meet all of us at the Sci Fire. I mean, if you're in LA and you're even have a passing interest in psychedelics, what a great night this is going to be. I mean, I don't it, it doesn't matter as much to me if you go to the sci-fi or festival or not. I care that you come to my documentary, but <laughs> why pass up the opportunity to, right. to go to the sci-fi? I mean, there's going to be like flames. We might get after Cole's lecture. We might, uh, and Shannon, uh, uh, and, Shannon and Shannon. And and yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, um, both of us. after both Cole's of your lecture, <laughs> but, um, but I know this about Cole also has, uh, speaking of hidden, special talents you you're you're quite the juggler aren't you oh you, i you can juggle be, yeah <laughs> you might be one of the performers the, like, circus level. no like the the fire spinner people i'm not like that uh, you're like, not gonna fire spin i had uh, i had my flow toy days in high school and in college definitely could juggle uh respectable um but not like the circus folk like whew, can you juggle thrill. during our talk uh, if you remind me, I'll try. You find something to try to juggle. Shannon, you got like you got like a double jointed elbow or like <laughs> a special like juggling or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, uh, I I try to only associate myself with people with strange uh talents that don't have a whole lot of utility so you'll have to think of something i like rollerblading <laughs> i love rollerblading there we go i haven't rollerbladed in years but i've almost uh, killed myself many a time on rollerblades can you do the cabbage patch the cabbage patch the dance Oh yeah, I can do that. Oh, cabbage the cabbage patches. That's okay. a good start. That's yeah. a good start. So come out man. to the Sci Fire. Uh, well, my documentary, and then the Sci Fire uh, Festival afterwards, and we'll all do the cabbage patch together, and you'll be able to uh, hear so much more and ask questions and meet us all in in person. And this is going to be so much. Uh, this is going to be so much fun. Uh, I'm glad that I'm going to see you again, Shannon, yeah, before yeah. you leave. Is there anything? I mean, I. I have um I have my guests each week name a, a charity or nonprofit of their choice, which of course in this case is going to be Maps and and Zendo. But we didn't even talk about Zendo That's on right. this podcast, and Zendo so uh, so important. We can't, but I know I gotta. Uh, you you have an early bedtime, Shannon, so we need to <laughs> we need to get you out of here uh, soon. Um, but uh, any anything else you want to mention before we wrap up? Uh, including make sure within that let's uh, let, let's do one more plug of if if people wanna uh, contribute donate be a part of etc uh, maps or Zendo what they can do where they can go to find links to donate to volunteer uh, what have you yeah maps.org slash donate great you if you like a spe- specific project that we're doing like MDMA for PTSD or observational study with ayahuasca you can earmark that donation to a particular project really oh that's interesting what's the ayahuasca stuff happening Uh, an ayahuasca for ptsd study in the works really yeah an observational Mm -hmm. in the u.s you could go to maps.org and find out more (laughs) 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 good answer Uh, that's more reason to visit the beautiful website uh, yeah Uh, volunteering zendoproject.org we have a volunteer application online and I believe it's still open for Burning Man if people are going there it's a wonderful experience awesome 
Yeah, I would uh, plug both of the same and uh, also mention, oh, uh, LAPSS. LAPS. LAPS, the Los Angeles Psychedelic Science Symposium. In case you're listening uh, to this and you didn't hear the previous episode, you can go back and hear tons about that on uh, the Brad Adams episode, which was just the one right before this. But you can see Cole and I there as well. Yeah, I'm going to be on a panel there with uh, Ashley Booth, who is also the head of the AWARE Project and our... um, and she's also our, our amazing uh, study coordinator for the study. Uh, myself, Ashley Booth, and Will Baroni, who uh, is somebody, you know, it, it's such a small world, even though, like there's so much going on. Um, you run into a lot of the same people, and they're also amazing. And Will is one of those people. Uh, he's going to be on the panel with us, and we're going to be a panel that's more broadly about MDMA assisted. Uh, psychotherapy for PTSD. Um, uh, and Will has, uh, I think, uh, extrapolated some data um, that's unique that he's going to be presenting. And um, and there will be a Q&A section there, so there will be another opportunity. And, uh, and LAMPS, the Los Angeles Medical Plan Society, is the organization that... Uh, that uh, is putting on the LAPSS uh, is another awesome organization and AWARE Project, awareproject.org. I think AWARE Project here in Los Angeles and the Zendo. Oh, and in San, there's AWARE Project in San Diego. Uh, and the Zendo ex, uh, volunteer experiencing experiences, those two are things that, you know, if people are looking to meet people and find out what's happening, maybe even create some new things for other people to be working on too. Um, uh, those are two places that you can meet the most amazing people. And I think everyone on the study team here, uh, that's how I met every single person on this team. Um, and uh, those are, yeah great things ashley's doing a great job with that and well speaking of ashley uh, this is a this is a way that the audience can maybe be involved in the show more than in the past because a lot of times people will write me and be like i have a question for science when are robots taking over and then i'm like i gotta wait and remember that question for when i talk to the robot guy well i know uh i i know ashley is coming on the show uh very soon but um but you'll have an opportunity to if you're hearing this episode now and you check out the aware project and have a look at what she's doing and you have some questions about um psychedelics or whatever i have a i have a uh podcast with her coming out soon so i can uh i would love for you guys to co- uh, contribute questions uh of your own so um there's a little opportunity there you can go on the here we are podcast.com website and contact me and uh yeah shannon is that did we did we nail everything did you no we just did, scratched the surface okay but it's perfectly right. acceptable unsatiated <laughs> wonderful all right well terrific well thank you both for thank joining you. me thank fun. you yeah shane this is like i'm just kind of taking it in right now like all of these things that are happening in los angeles alone and the first time we met, which I know. is not that long ago. Not really. that long ago. Like we Seems were both like kind of like. I think I kind of want to get involved in this thing, but there's like I don't know how. Yeah. You know, like we're both. It seemed like I feel like we've been going through a somewhat of a parallel process in our unique universes, and it's been fun. Mm-hmm. No, it's full fledged now. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, it's just now. Now I want to just start ranting about the multiverse of perception, <laughs> but I'm not going to. Uh, I, I'm going to exercise my newfound self control and end this perfectly as it should be ended, which is me just going talking for a 
about 15 seconds longer than I needed to. That's it. That's how I love to end <laughs> every Here We Are podcast. But it was, that was a beautiful, nostalgic little walk down Here We Are podcast lane as Cole was one of the very first. That's one last little thing. If audiences want to, you're, you're like, this is my first, uh, uh, time hearing uh, psychedelic talk on the here we are podcast you can go back through the catalog and hear cole and i talking about all sorts of wonderful and similar-ish things um in different ways though and using different words <laughs> and mixing it up using different words who knows why i said that who knows anything uh, but you can go uh, you can go back uh, through the catalog and hear Lots more uh, wonderful conversations, including us live from the Psychedelic Science Conference in 2017. So there's all sorts, so much you guys can check out. And I appreciate you for checking out today's episode. And I hope you'll check out next week's as well. Uh, Thank you all for being such wonderful, curious people. We'll talk with you next week. And thank you again, Cole and Shannon. Thanks, Shane. Thank you. All right, everybody, next week's episode, we're going to be talking neuroscience, the brain regions involved in emotion regulation with Elena Thomas um, at OHSU. And um, really, really cool episode. Like we said during the podcast, you can at any time uh, send any questions about psychedelics as I'll have another psychedelic researcher on um, very soon. Uh, So send those right away. And uh, and I'm not sure when that one will be released, but uh, but again, I, I do appreciate you guys spreading the word for me. And uh, those of you that listen all the way to the end, you are my favorite. Music brought to you this week by The Long Hunt. <laughs> <laughs>